This is Undaunted Life, a man's podcast. I'm your host, Kyle Thompson. Let's get into it. But he answered, it is written, men shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. That is Matthew 4, 4. Those are the words of Jesus. And guys, that doesn't necessarily apply to anything that we're going to be talking about today, but it also applies to everything we're going to be talking about it. If you take it seriously, guys, we'll be covering a lot of ground today. But first, just wanted to give a big shout out and a big thank you. We've had a bunch of new donors come on to support our show. So if you go to undaunted.life backslash donate, we have guys hopping in, you know, doing one-time donations, but also doing monthly donations. We get a little bit of money from advertising, but the overwhelming amount of the reason why we're able to continue doing what we're doing is because of guys like you supporting this content. So if you like this content and want to keep getting it out there, undaunted.life backslash donate, that will be in the show notes. Also got a new resource for you guys. So there's a new webpage on our website. So it's undaunted.life backslash podcast guests. And so guys, all this will be in the show notes so you can check it out later. But I, I got to say part of this is because I would get annoyed sometimes when this would happen, but also I just wanted it to be a good resource for you guys. So we have been doing interviews since episode 100 of this podcast. We're well over 300 episodes now. We've had a whole bunch of people on this show, but I will get DMs sometimes like, Hey, you should really have this person on. And they've been on the show twice or, Hey, have you ever thought about having this person or, uh, um, you know, where would you, uh, talk to this person or, you know, when would you do this or do that? And it's all right there. Okay. And so it's like, but I don't expect you guys, like I wouldn't expect, you know, me to go to a new show that I just found and like scroll all the way back through several hundred episodes to see if anyone I have ever known has talked on that podcast before. But this has a list of every single person that has ever been on our show in alphabetical order by last name. You can click on it. It'll take you directly to that episode, whether you want to listen on Apple podcasts, Spotify, uh, YouTube, everywhere else. So that is up there for you guys. It will always be on the website under the, uh, I guess what, what, tab did I put under? Hang on. Doing it live. So it's under the resources tab on our website, but again, it's undaunted.life backslash podcast guest. Also, quick question for you guys. You can kind of give me your feedback on this because I gave a book recommendation last week. Would you guys want to do like a book club thing? I've had a lot of people throw that out there to me before. Like if we did a book of the month and they did like some sort of a Zoom call or something like that to where we all hop on to kind of talk about that book. Is that something that y'all would be interested in? Shoot me an email, info at undaunted.life, info at undaunted.life, or shoot me a DM anywhere on, uh, you know, whatever social medias or whatever. And one more thing uh, to kind of cover this before we get into the show. As I told you, we do have programmatic ads that does provide a little bit of revenue for what we're doing here. There was an ad from a lingerie company that somehow made it into the podcast episode before my interview that was released on Tuesday, which was with Paul Litchfield of GORUCK. And guys, that wasn't supposed to be there. I think that was categorized wrong. Like we have a lot of different ad categories that are blocked out that to where they can't be put into my show. That one was put in there. Depending upon the platform you listen to it, you either heard that or didn't hear that. I'm assuming you weren't offended by it. Hopefully you laughed because I laughed. But just wanted to let you know that that shouldn't happen again in the future, but it is what it is. So for today's episode, today is all quick hitters, okay? And we are going to set a record today for the most amount of quick hitters hit in a single episode. Because with a lot of the, there's a lot that's happened the last, you know, week to 10 days, two weeks. And, you know, I wanted to talk about it, but not any one of these individual things requires, you know, 15, 20 minutes of explanation or, you know, going into it or something like that. So I just wanted to cover a lot of ground about a lot of different things. So here's the list and then we're going to get into it. So here we go. Elon Musk backing out of the deal to buy Twitter, the assassination of former Japanese prime minister Shinzo Abe by a communist WNBA star 
I mean, if there is such a thing, Brittany Griner's imprisonment in Russia, Boris Johnson resigning as prime minister of the UK, Akron police, quote unquote, murdering Jalen Walker, co-president Biden. There's a bunch of Bidens here in the middle. Co-president Biden coming for your guns. Co-president Biden taking executive action on abortion access. The Biden administration suing the state of Arizona for requiring proof of citizenship to vote. Most Democrats not wanting co-president Biden to run for re-election. Women's soccer player Megan Rapinoe somehow receiving the Medal of Freedom, the Presidential Medal of Freedom. Justice Brett Kavanaugh being harassed while at dinner with his family. The National Education Association, the NEA, considers changing the use of the word mother to birthing parent. And then also we have New York City bodega owner being charged for murdering, uh, for murder, for defending himself from an attacker. And then at the very, very end, if you stick with us till the very, very end, we're going to go over what might be the greatest single political ad of all time. Big drink of water. Let's get into this. So let's get into the first one. Elon Musk backing out of the deal to buy Twitter. So this is according to NBC News. Twitter shares sank in pre-market trade Monday after Elon Musk said he is trying to terminate his $44 billion takeover of the company. Shares of the social media platform fell more than 6%, wiping nearly $1.8 billion off the company's market value. Tesla, where Musk is CEO, fell almost 4%. On Friday, Musk's attorney notified Twitter's board that he wants to cancel the deal. The billionaire has taken issue with a number of bots and fake accounts on Twitter and says the company isn't being truthful about how much activity on the service is authentic. Twitter, on the other hand, has or says it's given Musk the information that he needs to assess the claim that spam accounts make up only about 5% of the monetized daily active users and including its so-called firehose and unfiltered real-time stream of daily tweets. So here's the thing with this story. This is like a soap opera. This whole Elon Musk thing, like, is he going to buy it? Is he not going to buy it? Are they going to let him buy it? Is he going to buy it for over market value? Blah, blah, blah. But my big takeaway from this one, because we don't know where this is going to go. We just, we simply do not know where this is going to go. We don't know how this is going to turn out. I kind of say, wait until he's officially bought it or officially not bought it and then start paying attention as opposed to paying attention to the ups and downs. But my big takeaway, this might very well be the biggest troll job of all time. Okay. Because even him, after it came out that he was going to be, you know, getting out of the deal, he basically posted a meme saying like, okay, they're, they're lying about their fake accounts and now they're going to have to show in court that they do actually have all these fake accounts. There are some people that think this was part of him being able to liquidate part of his Tesla stock without tanking the Tesla stock. He literally might be responsible for Twitter tanking as a company. Maybe decides to pull completely out of this deal. So we'll just kind of see how it has to go. It's on the tip of everybody's brains. It's something that even if you you are a big Twitter user, which I use Twitter from time to time, or I, you know, I'm on it every day at different times, but I'm not interacting a whole lot. My feed has changed quite a bit. I'm getting a lot of different stuff that's kind of outside of the normal people that I hear from. So I don't know what exactly is going on behind the scenes. But again, I'm kind of over this story, uh, the Musk and Twitter thing. Buy it or don't buy it. Okay. I'm not paying attention to this story anymore. We'll talk about it when it's done. All right, let's move to the next one. The assassination of former Japanese Prime Minister Shinzo Abe by a communist. So this is according to CNN World. So here we go. Former Japanese Prime Minister Shinzo Abe died on Friday after being shot while giving a campaign speech on a street in central Japan. The assassination of the former world leader in broad daylight has shocked a nation not used not used to gun violence and prompted an outpouring of support and condolences from the international community. Abe died from excessive bleeding and was pronounced dead at 5.03 p.m. local time. Doctors at the Nara Medical University Hospital said during a news press conference on Friday. The doctor said the bullet that killed the former Japanese leader was deep enough to reach his heart and a team of 20 medical professionals were unable to stop the bleeding. So 
This guy, we're going to learn more about the guy that killed him. This guy was an avowed communist. Um, this was a guy that, you know, took a bunch of pictures with uh, Che Guevara and, you know, went to all these communist uh, little meetings in Japan and different things like that. But uh, it's such a sad story. I spent some time, um, you know, talking to some of my friends in Japan because when I went to the University of Central Oklahoma, you know, as when I was there, there was about 17,000 students there, but about 1,500 of those were from the international community from other countries. And the most of any other country was from Japan. And so while I was playing soccer and just, you know, living in the dorms and different things like that, I got to know a lot of these guys and they were such good friends of ours. Uh, when my wife and I got married right after college, we actually took a trip to Japan and they took care of us while we were there. And just, I absolutely love those guys. So I reached out to them. I'm like, man, I'm so sorry. This sucks. And they're like, yeah, you know, we've never felt like we were going to be unsafe in this country. Cause again, you know, gun violence isn't a huge problem over there. You know, it's kind of Yakuza and that kind of thing. Like those are the people that have guns. Uh, but this kind of leads into my big takeaway on this story is evil always finds a way. Evil always finds a way. The guy that killed Shinzo Abe, he killed him with a homemade gun. So the, the gun was basically like a, a, a piece of wood that had a couple of pipes on it and he put a handle and he kind of like, I think it was a couple of shotgun shells that he was able to kind of work into this whole thing. And he made a gun because he wanted to kill Shinzo Abe and he knew it was going to be harder to do with, with maybe something else, right? But whether you're using a homemade gun, a gun made by a manufacturer here in the United States, whether you're using a blunt object, your hands or your feet, an SUV, evil is always going to find a way. Because when I get into these arguments with people, and again, just this week, I was talking to my Sunday school about uh, gun violence and different things like that. And it's just like every single year, more people in the United States to the tune of about 50% more people in the United States are murdered with hands, feet, and fists than they are with rifles. And yet, and we'll talk about this later, you have dopes like co-president Biden talking about how we need to get rid of assault rifles as if that's going to do anything in terms of what he's actually wanting to do. So that's my big takeaway on that one. All right, next story here. WNBA star Brittany Griner's imprisonment in Russia. So this is according to Fox News. Brittany Griner pled guilty to drug smuggling charge on Thursday after months of being held in a Russian detention. And now experts say gaining her release in a potential prison swap could turn out to be a complex process with serious implications. During her appearance in court, Griner maintained that her intent was not to violate Russian law. She could face up to 10 years in prison. I'd like to plead guilty, Your Honor, but there was no intent. I didn't want to break the law, she said, adding that she will give her testimony at a later date. A verdict has not has not been ruled in her case, but talks of a prisoner swap for Griner, who the State Department has maintained was wrongfully detained, has been the focus of conversations as her trial continues. And so here's the thing about this. So she apparently had some hashish oil that she, you know, put in like a vape pen or something like that. And that's what they got her for. Um, you know, that's super illegal there. Being ignorant of the law doesn't mean that you don't have to abide by the law. But at the same time, uh, I think that this is clearly a, an opportunity for the Russians to have a, what they consider to be a high profile American, you know, in custody over there and you to you know, potentially get this arms dealer out of an American prison like that. That's all to be determined. We don't really know about that. But what a lot of people have been saying is that this is only happening, you know, the only reason she's still in this prison over in Russia is because of her intersectional points, because she's a black lesbian woman, okay? Oh, if this were somebody else, if this were a white Christian athlete or something like that, they would be out already. And so when people say things like that on social media or out loud, they're saying something that is non-falsifiable. They can't prove that or disprove that. That's probably why they're saying it. And in addition to that, they probably actually believe it. But if you believe for a second, that's why you're silly. Because here's the deal is over in Russia. That's why a lot of these WNBA players play overseas is because the WNBA is not popular in the United States. I think the overall, I forgot what the numbers were. These will be at least close. Or here, I'll actually look it up while we're doing this live. Okay, I'm going to look up revenue, annual revenue, WNBA. Okay, 
I'm just going to go with the first thing that pops up. So it may or may not be good. Okay. Approximately the NBA does $60 million in revenue, which sounds like a lot, but now we're going to look up the revenue for the NBA. Okay. Okay. Looks like 10 billion is from this latest season, 10 billion in revenue compared to 60 million in revenue. But I think the Russians don't perhaps know that because Russian basket or women's basketball players are much more popular in Russia than they are even here in the United States because people are like, Oh, she's like the LeBron James of her sport. If LeBron James was in prison uh, in Russia, they would have got him out by now. Well, yeah, because LeBron James is one of the most famous people on planet earth. Steph Curry is one of the most famous people on planet earth. Like, uh, Luka Doncic or whoever else. These are some of the most famous rich people on planet earth. Obviously there are people that would be moving heaven and earth to get that person over here. Now I'm not making a value judgment because this is a, a, a woman that's made in the image of God that, you know, is not innocent according to Russian law, but I do think she is being railroaded by this, but people that are using this as an opportunity to talk about inequity between the NBA and WNBA, are you serious? Because there are people that are so dumb that they think that Brittany Griner should make as much as LeBron James does. LeBron James's salary is like two thirds of what the M the WNBA as an entire league pulls in for a season. What exactly are you talking about? But again, when you're talking to these people, they don't understand facts. They only understand feelings. So here's my big takeaway on this one. And this is kind of shifting a little bit on her because I, I do think she's being railroaded. It's probably a good idea to be thankful for your country. If you're an American, because Throughout this whole process, and again, I don't think she should be in prison. She should be back here stateside. Hopefully they get her back. I, I honestly believe that. But this gal is one of the many professional, spoiled, bratty professional athletes that decided to take a knee against her own country to go against supposed systemic racism of which they can't define specifically. And now she is so desperately trying to get the government, the federal government of the country that she doesn't really like or support very much to get her out of prison. Oh, Joe Biden, will you please, please get me out of prison? I voted for you. Don't forget about me. All these different cries for help that we're hearing. To a certain degree, and again, I want her to be out of prison. I'm glad that she says that what's happening in the prison over there in Russia, that she's being treated well. I, I'm very, very happy about that, genuinely. Part of me says this is what she had coming though. You take a knee, it's cute because all your other teammates are doing it. It's ESPN loves it. And you know, you get to pretend as if uh, George Floyd was a sainted person that was murdered by police, even though that's not what happened. And then now look at you because you could just stay in Russia, right? Like for her, why does she want to come back here? That's what I would ask her. Like, I'm sure she wants to be out of a Russian prison, but why wouldn't she just want to move somewhere else? Because America is so systemically racist. Why as a black person, would you want to come to this country? Is it possible? Because we are the most diverse country on planet earth. And this is where black people can succeed the most as opposed to anywhere else in the world where they're treated so unbelievably well by the overwhelming majority of everyone that lives here. Could that have something to do with it? I don't think she's going to change her viewpoints. I hope she gets out of prison. I hope she gets out of prison very, very soon. And she comes back here stateside, but I don't want to see any of this kneeling crap. I want to see only thankfulness. I want to see pride when she holds that flag, when she will likely be completing at the next summer Olympics. Okay. So there you go. 
All right, let's get into the next one here. Boris Johnson resigning as Prime Minister of the UK. So this is according to the New York Post. British Prime Minister Boris Johnson announced his resignation Thursday, marking the end of his time at the top of UK politics. After resisting calls to step down for nearly two days, Johnson admitted to the world's media outside Number 10 Downing Street in London that it is clearly now the will of the Parliamentary Conservative Party that there should be a new leader and a new Prime Minister. The process of that should begin now. A timetable should be announced next week, added Johnson, who went on to thank British voters who propelled the Conservatives to their largest House of Commons majority for nearly four decades in the 2019 general election, a result Johnson had repeatedly cited as he sought to cling to power. So the thing is over there is just because he's going to be ousted as prime minister, that does still mean that the Conservative Party will be in power over there. Again, I don't really care that much about politics over there in the U.K., I don't have to care that much about it because I don't get to vote there. I don't have any part of their process over there, but I do have a quick takeaway here. Sometimes corrupt politicians are forced out of office and I wish it would happen more often. Okay. So this guy was conservative in UK terms, but he wasn't actually conservative in like US terms, that type of a thing. And he did some deeply, deeply corrupt things and just some bad taste things during COVID when everything was locked down. He was having like these ragers, these parties at, you know, his residence and different things like that. The guy's been a wild dude from the beginning. You know, he mirrored Donald Trump a lot. You know, his rise to power really mirrored Donald Trump. You know, him was uh, being elected was kind of this this force of Brexit that was happening over there in the UK. But I want to see more politicians pay for their bad decisions. Like, I want to see a guy like Gavin Newsom, who was so unbelievably hypocritical with the stuff that was going on during COVID whenever he was in California. I want to see him ousted from office. And yet Democrats are going to try to prop him up and potentially get him to run for president in 2024. More on that here in a second. But the next story here we're going to go over is Akron police supposedly murdering a guy named Jalen Walker. So this is according to the Daily Wire. Police in Akron on Sunday, this was uh, a couple of Sundays ago, released video of the chase and fatal shooting of a black DoorDash driver who was killed last week as he ran from police after allegedly leading them on a chase and shooting at them. Jalen Walker, 25, who police say was wearing a ski mask and shot at them before jumping out of his car and running away, was shot up to 60 times in the June 27th incident. Although he did not have a gun on him when he ran, police chief Stephen Maylett said the video showed Walker appeared to reach for something at his waist and turn as he ran, prompting the police to fire. Police said they were pursuing Walker because the car was was driving that had been involved in a crime in the previous day. They say he refused to stop, sped through the residential neighborhood, shot at them and jumped out of the car while it was still moving at a barricade, creating a deadly threat and prompting officers to use tasers and handguns. Police attempted to aid Walker after he was subdued. Milet said he was lying on his back in handcuffs when a medical examiner arrived at the scene, according to the investigative worksheet for the case shown to the Beacon Journal at the medical examiner's office. He had been shot in the face, torso, upper legs, according to the report. So I'm just going to go right into my big takeaway here. Police shootings are almost always justified. And we should remember that anytime one of these situations comes up. Because immediately we got the predictable outrage. Black guy shot by white police officers. The automatic assumption is that the white police officers were racist and hunting a black man that day. And they chose to kill Mr. Walker. Okay. And that's where people want you to leave the story. When the reality is much, much bleaker for people that would support that point of view. Okay, because this guy had been involved in a crime the previous day. They were trying to stop him. He ran from police. He put a bunch of lives in danger because of how he was driving. And also he shot at the police. So when people say, yo, he was another unarmed black man shot and murdered by police. It's like, well, they didn't know he was unarmed when they shot him. All that they knew is up to that point. He led them on a very dangerous high speed chase and he had shot at them. So if someone like that were near you 
and he were reaching into his waistband at that moment or reaching anywhere near where another firearm could be, yeah, I'm okay with that. That is a justified shoot. People are like, but he was shot 60 times. Well, he was shot by multiple officers. Okay. I forget how many officers were on the scene, but it seems like most of them uh, emptied the majority of their magazine to try and stop this situation from going any further. Again, the piece of crap here is Jalen Walker. I wish he had made a bunch of different decisions that day, but he is dead today because of his own decision-making. Had he stopped, pulled over and dealt with the consequences of whatever was befalling him, maybe he had a warrant for his arrest, or at least the crimes that he had committed up to that point, then he could have dealt with that and he would be alive today to talk about it and we wouldn't be using his name. But again, anytime one of these situations comes up, that's why I tell people, hey, let's pause. That's why I haven't talked about on the show until now. Can we pause until we get a little bit more information? Because sometimes the police shoots are bad. And if they are bad, the police should go down for that. They should get the maximum penalty for that. Even when you take into account the fact that they have one of the most impossible jobs on the planet to do incredibly well most of the time. But in this situation, as in the majority of these situations, when these people are killed, they are not innocent doves. They are not sitting on a park bench, eating a sandwich and reading the Bible. These are people that are in the act of committing a crime or just got done committing a crime and they are being aggressive towards police. And it is not the police's job to die so that a piece of garbage could live. The difference is, is maybe like in the situation with Uvalde, their job is to potentially die to protect the lives of children from a wolf, like the guy that was shooting all the children. All right. But that's podcast for another day. Talked plenty about that. Let's get to the next one. Now we're getting into the Joe Biden section. Oh boy. Buckle in. Co-president Joe Biden is coming for your guns, guys. Okay. So this is according to Bloomberg. President Joe Biden said Americans are awash in weapons of war and called again for Congress to strengthen gun restrictions, including by banning military style rifles, even though he didn't exactly define what that means, while lauding the new law that modestly advanced gun safety after a series of mass shootings. If this law had been in place years ago, even the last year, lives would have been saved. Biden somehow managed to say Monday at the White House, but the president insisted more needs to be done and renewed his call for Congress to ban assault weapons and high capacity magazines, as well as to expand background checks to enact safe storage laws, making gun owners liable for not securing their firearms. I'm not going to stop until we do it, he said, adding nothing of what I'm talking about infringes on anyone's second amendment, second amendment. And then he farted, crapped his pants, and here we are today. So here's the thing. The big takeaway here is you had to know this was coming. You had to know this was coming. Okay. It's the do something crowd. So we have mass shootings. They make the headlines, you know, everyone gets their clicks and then it's like, okay, we got to do something and let's convince, you know, uh, jerks on the Republican side of the aisle that this is somehow going to be a good thing. But again, when this guy's actually sentient, which is not most of the time he's alive, he's reading from a prompter. And most of the time what he's reading is a lie. Okay. So he's talking about things that he doesn't know much about that people around him are basically putting into his ear. So something like safe storage laws, right? So in general, you should have safe storage of your firearms. But what these people want is if you have a firearm, which they don't even want you to have one, they want it to be locked away in a safe. And then they want a separate safe in a different part of the house where all the ammunition is. So basically your firearm is completely worthless when you need it in a home invasion scenario. They don't want you to be able to carry it. So if you're out and about, you can't stop a crime happening to you or someone around you because your firearm is not on you. That's what these people want. Again, it doesn't make sense. He can't define what an assault weapon is, any of that, but you knew this was coming. Okay. This is red meat for his base. He's looking forward to November. And he's not looking forward to it in a positive way. He is actually able to look that far into the future whenever he's actually awake and he can see that what's coming is a red wave. Now, if it's a red wave and they only get the House, that's actually a win for the Democrats because they could still do a whole lot of maneuvering if they have the White House and the Senate. But people that voted for him, they don't like guns. They don't like gun violence. Like they, they want it all to end and they think you can just snap your fingers, do a univariate analysis and say, okay, we're just going to make guns harder to get 
for law-abiding citizens, and that will somehow make criminals less likely to use firearms. So doesn't make a whole lot of sense. But again, this is just posturing for his base. So let's get into the next form of posturing here. And this is co-president Biden taking executive action on abortion access. So this is according to Fox News. Two weeks after the Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade, President Joe Biden plans to sign an executive order on abortion access on Friday. This was last Friday. Three sources familiar to the matter tell the Associated Press. The White House and Biden will speak Friday morning on protecting access to reproductive health care services. He is Uh, He is expected to outline actions to attempt to mitigate some potential penalties women seeking abortion may face after the ruling, but are limited in their ability to safeguard access to abortion nationwide. Biden is expected to instruct the Departments of Justice and Health and Human Services to push back against any state's efforts to limit a woman's ability to go across state lines for a legal abortion or to get federally approved abortion medication, according to the AP report. In a further attempt to protect women seeking an abortion, Biden's executive order will also direct agencies to work to educate medical providers and insurers about how and when they are required to share privileges or privileged patient information with authorities. He will also ask the Federal Trade Commission to take steps to protect the privacy of those seeking information about reproductive care online. So he did this little speech. He did this little song and dance. um, And most of it was just performative because this executive order, as with most executive orders, can't really do much, especially if the next person that comes in office wears a different color tie than you. They can just undo all that stuff, similar to what Donald Trump had happened to him. He had all these great executive orders. Oh, we're all celebrating them. And then Joe Biden gets rid of them when the first like 48 seconds in office. But with him, probably the most egregious thing that he did here was he talked about a story of a 10 year old Ohio girl that was raped and couldn't get an abortion. Okay. As we talked about on the show before that baby did nothing wrong. The baby growing in the belly of someone that was raped did nothing wrong. And that baby deserves to live, right? The rapist deserves to die. Okay. I've talked about that at nauseam, but the problem with the story, as with most of the things that Joe Biden says, it doesn't seem to be true. Again, that's all over social media. Oh, this 10 year old girl. What about this poor girl? There's no reporting in the jurisdiction where this girl is that a rape ever occurred. There is a single verbal source, which supposedly is confirming this story. Okay. So I have serious, significant doubts that this ever happened, but let's say it did. Again, it goes back to my initial point talking about rape, okay? This, that's an absolutely horrific situation, and I think the government should kill that person after they find them as quickly as possible. Kill the rapist, right? Castrate them, let them hang out for 24 hours without their junk, and then kill them and do it quickly, right? I'm all for that. But again, that doesn't make the, the life, the, the value of the life inside the womb of that young baby or of that, that young girl any, like any less valuable because of the circumstances of the conception. So my big takeaway here is this seems to be a lot of posturing from co-president Biden. Again, this is kind of the, the do something attitude on the gun issue. It's like, Oh, I got to do something. And it's been two weeks and, and my, my base is mad at me. And so I got to do something. And so this was his something. And that base is quickly running away from him. We'll get more into that here in a second. Next one here. The Biden administration sues the state of Arizona for requiring proof of citizenship to vote. Wonder why they're doing that. According to the Wall Street Journal, the Biden administration on Tuesday, this was a couple of Tuesdays ago, sued Arizona saying the state violates federal law by requiring proof of citizenship to vote for president. In its latest challenge to Republican-backed changes to state voting procedures, the Justice Department said Arizona's newly enacted requirements that residents provide documentary or documentary proof of citizenship would keep eligible voters from participating in certain federal elections. 
The state law set to take effect in January turns the clock back by imposing unlawful and unnecessary requirements that would block eligible voters from registration rolls, said Kristen Clark, which is the head of Justice Department's Civil Rights Division. She called Arizona's House Bill 2492, which also requires proof of citizenship to vote by mail in any federal elections, a textbook violation of the 1993 National Voter Registration Act, a provision requiring election officials to reject registration forms based on mistakes that aren't relevant to a voter's eligibility, also violates the 1964 Civil Rights Act, the Justice Department said. Arizona Republicans passed the bill in a party-line vote, and Governor Doug Ducey signed it on March the 30th, calling it a balanced approach that honors Arizona's history of making voting accessible without sacrificing security in our elections. It requires proof of citizenship, such as a passport or birth certificate, on a federal voter registration form. Voting rights advocates had warned that such a measure could disenfranchise tens of thousands of voters. So let's deal with the last sentence there. Voting rights advocates have warned that such a measure could disenfranchise tens of thousands of voters. What kinds of voters? Perhaps non-citizens that are legally not supposed to vote in our elections? Like, really? I mean, they're showing their hand. The Biden administration is showing their hand because obviously they're pretending as if there's not a crisis on the southern border. They're pretending as if we don't have an invasion happening on our southern border by more people, non-documented citizens, illegal aliens, whatever you want to call them, than ever before in the history of our country. They're pretending that that's not happening. Then they're pretending as if what they're doing here by suing the state of Arizona is good for election integrity. Because this goes to my big takeaway on this story. Why is it always the Democrats that are working to make election fraud easier. Shouldn't we all, regardless of our political persuasion, want election fraud to be much more difficult? You can't get rid of it entirely. It's impossible. But shouldn't we want it to be much, much, much more difficult? Again, suing the state of Arizona for this law, which is about as milquetoast of a law on this particular issue as it could possibly be, it's like it's playing into the uh, you know what used to be conspiracy theories until it was proven to the fact that a lot of Democrats don't want these elections to be fair. Now, I'm not going to go all the way and say that 2020 was stolen from Donald Trump and all that. I don't think we've necessarily seen the evidence for that. And we've seen uh, certainly fraud on the Republican side, some prominent fraud on the Republican side. I think it was in Virginia, North Carolina, uh, you know, four years ago, five years ago, something like that. Uh, I'm just trying to go off the top of my head here. But anytime there are people voting from addresses that don't exist, Anytime there are people that are wanting other people from their party to be able to go around and capture ballots, anytime you want people that don't want you to vote on the day of, they want you to vote, you know, well in advance before any type of surprise, any types of people that want to make sure that it's uh, easier for people that don't have citizenship rights, thus voting rights to vote, it's always the Democrats. And could it possibly be because the majority of those votes that happen in that type of a scenario go for Democrats? Is that possible? I mean, it's beyond possible. I would assume that it's very, very probable, but we need to get to the last one here. The last uh, thing that we're going to talk about on uh, co-president Biden before we give him a rest. Even most Democrats do not want co-president Biden running for re-election in 2024. Okay, so this is according to VOA News, that's Voice of America News via the New York Times. A large majority of Democrats would prefer that their party nominate someone other than incumbent President Joe Biden as its candidate in the 2024 presidential election, a new poll from the New York Times and Siena College found. The poll asked respondents who plan to vote in the Democratic primary elections whether they want the party to renominate Biden. Only 26% of Democrats 
said that they would like to see Biden on the ballot again, compared to 64% of Democrats who said they would prefer someone else. That is bananas. We'll keep going. The poll's findings paint a grim picture for the incumbent president who's standing with the public as being battered by high inflation and his inability of his party to push its agenda through the closely divided Senate, as if that's the only thing. So the main reasons for, for these paltry poll numbers, at least given in the New York Times article, is his age as if we didn't realize that the guy was decrepitly old when he ran for this office. It's like, are you shocked that he's getting older? Yeah, time does keep going on, even if someone that you like is elected. Also, just in general, people don't like the direction that the country is moving in, regardless of party, okay? But even on the Democrat side, part of the reasons why his poll numbers are sinking is because they don't see him as progressive enough. Yes, actually. They don't see him as progressive enough because here's the thing for his entire political career, as far as I understand it, Joe Biden, he's never been a thermostat. He's always been a thermometer. Okay. So he tries to find the temperature of the center of the democratic party. Okay. I think Ben Shapiro has pointed this out a lot and I think he's right. The center of the democratic party is where he will always be. The democratic party has shifted super far to the left. And so now his quote unquote centrist position is way farther to the left of anything that he would have co-signed even 10 years ago, even whenever he was serving as vice president of this country. Okay. And it's just crazy. And you can read, there's more things in there. Like the fact that your own party wants to throw you out is, is really damning because the Dems are in full panic mode now because they know that if he were unable to run or if they were to push him out, it's like, who do you have Kamala Harris? Who's deeply, deeply unimpressive. You have Pete Buttigieg, you have uh, uh, Gavin Newsom, you have just all the people you could put up. There's the, you know, the, uh, what is it? Whitner from uh, the governor of Michigan. There's governor of Illinois. There's a bunch of people that have kind of been thrown out there. They all suck for different reasons. Okay. So they're in full panic mode. They don't know what they're going to do because, you know, if he decides he's not going to vote or run again, like what exactly is the plan? They don't seem to have one right now. And Dems usually have a pretty good plan of action for what they're going to do. But this is what we can expect to see. We can expect to see a ton of maneuvering to get Joe Biden out of office or to at least get him to where he's no longer going to run in 2024. And we're going to get that maneuvering. We're going to start seeing it in December because in November, there's essentially a 100% chance that the Republicans are going to take over the house. And there's maybe a coin flip chance that they'll take over the Senate. Okay. If they take over both houses, co-president Biden's uh, presidency is essentially over with. And maybe there's some things that Congress can do to help turn around some of the negative things that are happening in this country, but the maneuvering is going to start. Okay. And Joe Biden's not going to be able to stop it. Like he can't prove to anyone that he can get through a sentence without going full mush mouth, much less prove to people that he can run this country for another six years. Think about that. We're not even two years into his presidency and he's already definably perhaps the worst president. Like we'll go right to my big takeaway because I was going to talk about this. Co-president Biden is the worst president in modern history and perhaps even U.S. history. But the only thing that could save him. Okay. It's not him. It's not Kamala. It's not a different running mate. It's not an endorsement by a politician or a celebrity or a bunch more money. The only thing that can save co-president Biden is if he runs against Trump in 2024. Because I want to go back to this VOA article here. Here's another quote. In one of the survey's only bright spots for the president, it found that among all voters in a rematch of the 2020 election with Biden facing former President Donald Trump in 2024, Biden would win 44% of the vote to Trump's 41%. Now, 
We're three years ahead of this thing. You know, essentially, are you two years and some change ahead of this thing? Polls can obviously change. Things can change. Joe Biden could die. I don't want him to, but he could. Like, it's, you know, something could happen to Trump for all we know. But that is the only thing that saves Democrats is if Donald Trump runs again. Because by, by my estimation, let's say he runs and loses the Republican nomination to a guy like Governor DeSantis from Florida. Even in that concept, a lot of these MAGA people, a lot of these Trump people, they're not just going to turn and vote for DeSantis, okay? They're going to sit at home, thus giving whoever the Democrats put up, regardless of how stupid or terrible they are, they're going to get in. Again, I could be wrong, but I don't think I'm going to be wrong. If Trump runs at all, I think the Republicans are finished, right? And this is a guy that voted for him in 2020. So something to keep, uh, keep an eye on. We'll see how it goes into the future. All right, next one here. Women's soccer player Megan Rapinoe received the Presidential Medal of Freedom. So this is according to NBC News. President Joe Biden on Thursday, this was last Thursday, awarded the American soccer star Megan Rapinoe the Presidential Medal of Freedom, the nation's highest civilian honor. Rapinoe was among 17 recipients, along with gymnast and fellow Olympian Simone Biles, the Academy Award-winning actor Denzel Washington, and Senator John McCain, the Arizona Republican who died in 2018. Rapino is the first soccer player to receive the award and one of just six female athletes or coaches. Beyond the World Cup title to Olympic medals, Megan is a champion for essential American truth that everyone is entitled to be treated with dignity and respect. This is what Biden said at the award ceremony. He also said this. She helped lead the change for perhaps the most important victory for anyone in our soccer team or any soccer team. Equal pay for women. Okay. So we just need to talk about the Presidential Medal of Freedom. It's a useless trinket right? It means nothing. There have been people that have been really heroic, great people that have gotten that. And then there's been people that have gotten it just because it was politically expedient or nice for them to get it. Like, go, like seriously, go Google Presidential Medal of Freedom recipients and just look through the list and look at the people that you do know. And you're like, you're gonna be like, wait, what? This is the highest civilian. Robert De Niro, you got the highest civilian honor for something like this. Ellen DeGeneres, right? Like what, what exactly have you done except for entertain people? right? So this is a useless award. Okay. So we, we just kind of need to talk about it. So even the fact that I'm talking about, it, I feel bad, but my big takeaway on this one is kind of like with the Brittany Griner situation, you can still like, you can hate your country and still get a medal from her. Megan Rapino does not like America. And you might be like, Oh, she represents the United States of America. She was the first professional women's soccer player to kneel during the national anthem. Okay. And then she basically strong armed the rest of her teammates and other countries to do the exact same thing. Okay. So she's just like a Brittany Griner. She's just like a Colin Kaepernick in that she hates this country. She thinks that she's somehow oppressed because she's a lesbian woman. And yet here she is at the White House getting a present for doing what exactly? Like her entire soccer career, like she's had a very, very successful career in international soccer. You know, she had this great, you know, cross to Abby Wambach back in, you know, I think it was the Olympics or the, the World Cup to beat Brazil and all that. Like she's had a great career. She's had some highlights. But the highest civilian honor? For what? What has she done? And the answer is, is nothing for our country except to wedge an even deeper divide between people that don't believe and see things the way that she does. And that apparently gets you the highest civilian honor in the land. So, okay, I guess. Go for it. 
All right, next one here. Justice Brett Kavanaugh being harassed while at dinner with his family. This happened last week. This is according to the Washington Post. After the Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade, eliminating the fundamental right to an abortion. Again, this is a Washington Post, the fundamental right to abortion. Comedian Samantha B., who's supposed to be a serious person, floated a plan for targeting the conservatives on the court who made up the majority opinion. We have to raise hell in our cities, in Washington, in every restaurant Justice Alito eats at for the rest of his life, she implored viewers of her late night show. Full fronter with Samantha B. Because if Republicans have made our lives hell, it's time to return the favor. So you might be asking yourself, who is Samantha B? And you're asking yourself that because you you like real comedy and people that are actually funny. But let's go back into the Washington Post article here. It seems some abortion rights activists are taking a page out of that playbook. Although the first justice to have his dinner publicly disrupted wasn't Samuel A. Alito Jr., but Justice Brett M. Kavanaugh, who left Morton's The Steakhouse in Washington on Wednesday night through a back entrance to avoid the crowd gathered out front, according to Politico. In a city that draws sign-wielding activists from across the country on a regular basis, Washington restaurants and even those far outside the Beltway have long contended with protests, some even centered on individual diners. And many are embracing for more such incidents as protesters angered by the Roe decision and enabled by rapid fire social media organizing look to confront conservative justices at their homes and at the restaurants where they dine. So this isn't a a huge deal in terms of all the other things that are happening in this country, but it's a microcosm and a description of a sickness that we have in our culture that mainly comes from the left, which is if you disagree with us and if you do something that we do not like, We are going to do everything we can to make your life a living hell. And again, we need to remember which justice this happened to. This happened to Brett Kavanaugh. Now, he has professional protection. They obviously got him out the back door. He's alive and well today, but here's my big takeaway on this one. It's all fun and games until someone gets hurt. You've heard that before, probably from your grandma or someone. It's all fun and games until someone gets hurt. Because lest I remind you that just a few weeks ago, a man was arrested that was attempting to murder Brett Kavanaugh at his home. That guy could literally have just been another one of the protesters that were outside. Because you would want, you know, blue checkmark people on Twitter, Democratic politicians, Democratic strategists. You wanted the image, the video camera image of him walking out of the front of that restaurant and being verbally and maybe even physically accosted by this crowd of dorks. But what if one person in that crowd didn't want to hold a sign? What if they didn't want to yell and scream? What did they, what if they wanted to cut him? What if they wanted to shoot him? What if they wanted to blow him up? And you're sitting here like, oh, that's crazy. Yeah. It's only sounds crazy because it didn't happen because his security team in the restaurant prevented that from happening. But why should a justice that disagrees with your point of view have to fear you? Because again, they're appointed for life. This is, this isn't an elected official. You can't get them out of office, but they're doing their job that they've been given. They've been granted this job. Okay. So who are you to try and stop them from doing that? Again, there have been some horrific decisions in the history of the United States Supreme Court, one of them being Roe v. Wade, which led to the murder of 60 million children in the womb. But at no point would I have advocated for the seven men that decided that back in 1973 to be murdered as someone wanted to do with Brett Kavanaugh, to be accosted while they're at dinner with their families. Like, again, this is a fundamental difference between people that have a leftist worldview versus people that have a worldview that's more so on the conservative bin. Is I could disagree with you and let you enjoy your soup and steak. Like, I've been asked this before, you know, what would you do if you ever met Barack Obama? You've been very critical of him. I would shake his hand and I would say, uh, thank you uh, for being here, Mr. President. So, so nice to meet you. Thank you for serving this country. 
Now, if he asked me, hey, son, uh, what do you think about all the, the stuff that I did while I was in office? Well, then he just gave me an invitation to just dump all the things that I'm disappointed in. But otherwise, he's a human being. Let him eat his dinner, right? You can scream outside his office, which is protected by a lot of armed guards and everything else like that. But going outside these people's houses, like going outside while they're eating dinner, like give me a break, get a life. All right, next one here. The National Education Association, that's the NEA, considers changing the use of the word mother to birthing parent. God, everything is so stupid. According to the Washington Times, let's get into it here. It turns out the National Education Association won't be replacing mothers with birthing parents, at least not this year. The nation's largest teachers union said in a Thursday statement that a hot button proposal to swap out the words mother, father, and maternity leave with gender neutral terms in contract language didn't come up for a vote this week at the annual meeting. The item sought to change mother to birthing parents, father to non-birthing parent, and maternity leave to parental leave in the name of LGBTQ inclusion. The delegates did pass several other left of center proposals, including items on abortion, LGBTQ issues, and countering conservative education groups at the assembly and Chicago, which concluded Wednesday. This was a couple of Wednesdays ago. The successful items included a proposal to spend $140,625 to create and distribute fact sheets about the 25 largest organizations seeking to dismantle public education, including information about funding sources, leadership, and office locations. You cannot put a price tag on truth, said one delegate. According to the Education Week, we have to know our enemies. A whopping 74% approved an item to take a public stand in defense of abortion and reproductive rights and encourage members to participate in activities including rallies and demonstrations, Education Week reported. Also winning passes was a $56,000 proposal to take all necessary steps to overturn Florida's HB 1557 decried by folks as are decried by foes as the don't say gay bill, which prohibits classroom instruction on sexual orientation and gender identity in grades K through three. The delegates also approved spending nearly $500,000 to present a unified response to the rise of gun violence and use words murder and murderer when applicable in reference to mass shootings. Okay. So the thing with all this that I read, because the headline is supposed to be, well, they didn't actually change it from mother to birthing parent. Okay, but the big takeaway here is that the story is not that this change didn't happen. The story is that this change was even considered. They literally considered getting rid of the word mother in their contracts and changing it to birthing parents. Okay, because of a fraction of a fraction of a fraction of the population that is confused about their gender. That's why. Okay. So one thing, and I know I've talked negatively about teachers on on here a lot. And if you haven't heard me talk about it before, I don't look at teachers as this homogenous group of heroes. I think a lot of teachers are absolutely reprehensibly awful. I had some growing up. I can count the teachers that really seem to give a damn on one hand. And I went to a really, you know, really good school for, for the area that I grew up in versus the teachers that just absolutely sucked at their job. And they were just kind of getting through getting a paycheck so they could be off during the summer and off on spring break and, and Christmas break and all those different things. Like that's why a lot of these people seem to be doing this job. They're not doing it because they actually care about the education of the students or the students in general. But I think we need to stop pretending that teachers aren't political pawns, that they aren't political actors. Because again, you could even see that in the news story. Again, all these will be in the show notes. They approved for these teachers to be able to go out and pick it, be able to go out and do all these other things. And they approved money to be spent. Again, this is a school board approved money to be spent on things that have nothing to do with education. They don't have to do with mathematics. They don't have to do with reading, writing, history, civics, nothing. And yet they're somehow going to do something about gun violence. They're going to do something about expanding LGBTQ inclusion, right? Again, this is what I talk about. 
Whenever I talk about getting your kids out of the government schools and into private Christian schools that you have vetted or homeschooling, because these are the people that are in charge of forming your kids' opinions. These are the people. The people that don't want you to be called father, but non-birthing parent. They don't want you to be called mother, but birthing parent. Okay? This is a serious, serious issue. I will continue to talk about it because regardless of the area you grow up in, whether you grow up or whether you're raising your family in a red area with a lot of conservatives, it takes one purple head nose ringed teacher to get in there and to put this contagion in your kid's brain. So as a, as a father to most of you listening to this or to the mothers listening to this as well, you have to make sure that you're not ignoring stories like this. This is very, very serious and your kids are at stake. All right. A couple more left. Next one here. New York City bodega owner was being charged with murder for defending himself from an attacker. So this is according to the Daily Mail. A lot of you guys have seen this video. If you haven't, it'll be in the show notes. But again, the Daily Mail here. New video footage reveals that the New York City bodega worker charged with murder tried to calm an angry customer who he ended up stabbing to death in self-defense when the man came behind the counter and attacked him. Jose Alba, 61, was freed from jail last week when his bail was lowered from uh, following a public outcry over his murder charges and about whether he was trying to defend himself. Alba is charged with second-degree murder after fatally stabbing 37-year-old career criminal Austin Simon. Video attained by the New York Post reveals that the bodega worker was trying to avoid confrontation with Simon in the minutes leading up to the July 1st stabbing. Papa, I don't want a problem, Papa, Alba calmly tells Simon as the man angrily storms into the Hamilton Heights bodega and walks around the counter to confront the clerk. So again, with this story, the videos have gone around. This guy clearly, uh, the, the, the Bottega worker, he didn't want any part of this. So this guy comes behind the, behind the counter. He's being very aggressive. And then he got physically aggressive. And then he attacked Alba. Okay. And during the fracas, Alba pulls out a knife and stabs the guy to death. Okay. So he was being attacked. He was defending himself. And the attacker lost his life right? Which of all the available scenarios, that's the one that I would have wanted, right? But my big takeaway on this one is imagine what would have happened to Jose Alba had this video not gone viral. Because again, he was in Rikers Island for about a week before the charges or the charges weren't uh, lowered, but his bail was lowered to where he could actually get a bail bond and get out because his family couldn't afford because they put like a $2 million bail or a million dollar bail on this guy uh, to start out. Um, but the only reason that happened was because people like me and people like you were sharing this on social media, calling their Congress people or, you know, you know, just basically saying this is absolutely terrible. Why, why are you doing this? Okay. And, and again, just imagine what would happen had it not gone viral. because. Essentially, the the DA of Manhattan, which is a guy named Alvin Bragg, he's a George Soros-funded DA, Marxist in his ideology. Guys like him will continue to empower thugs like the one, thankfully, Jose Alba killed. I am thankful that Alba is alive today and that other guy is not. Because again, that other guy was a career criminal that was going to kill people in his life. That was the trajectory of his life. This was a guy that needed a complete reformation, like only the gospel. And the truth of that in his heart could possibly have saved this guy. But in that scenario, in a struggle between an innocent person and a wolf and a bully, I'm glad the wolf was taken out. And yet this man is being punished for defending himself. Now, in just about every scenario where you defend yourself, if you're a concealed carry person, you pull out your concealed carry and you shoot somebody with it, it doesn't end there. 
there, there's usually tens of thousands of dollars that you're going to have to spend to to defend yourself and defend the fact that you were actually doing this in self-defense or in defense of other people around you. You're basically stopping a threat. And depending upon the state that you live in, that's either going to be an easy process or a rough process for you. But these are stories that we really need to be paying attention to because we look at these DA races in our local communities and we don't pay attention to those things as much. Why? Because the the national you know political machine basically wants you to focus on who's in the White House and that one or two senators that are flipping votes left or right, right? Or who's going to be able to get which one of the, their people on the Supreme Court. That's what they want you to focus on. But the local DA in that area is the reason why Jose Alba's life is forever changed because of the charges that were brought against him. And there's no indication that they're going to be removing these charges. So, you know, it's a rough one. It's a rough one for sure, but we got to make sure we keep an eye on this. Okay. All right. Last thing here, guys, if you hung with me to the beginning or from the beginning to the end here is perhaps the greatest political ad that I've ever seen in my entire life. Okay. So I'm going to go ahead and play this ad. So this is from Jerome Davison. He is going for Congress uh, in the state of Arizona. But I want to go ahead and play this ad for you, and then I'll react to it, and then we'll get you guys out of here. So let's go ahead and play it here. Democrats like to say that no one needs an AR-15 for self-defense. That no one could possibly need all 30 rounds. But when this rifle is the only thing standing between your family and a dozen angry Democrats in Klan hoods. You just might need that semi-automatic in all 30 rounds. All right, so for those of you that were just listening to this, uh, obviously it'll be in the show notes. You can check it out for yourself. But it's this guy, this shouldn't matter, but he is a black guy. This is a guy, I think he used to be in the NFL. I think he was a running back or something like that. Uh, Jerome Davison, uh, at least it was a college football player. I'm, I'm kind of getting my people mixed up here a little bit. But the imagery here is of a lot of people in KKK outfits and Klan uniforms running towards this guy's house. He's in a suit. He's got his AR-15 with his 30-round magazine. And all of them basically see him with his 30-round magazine and his AR, and they take off running in the opposite direction. So a few things here. So obviously, this is a pro-gun guy. Obviously, this is a pro-Second Amendment guy. Obviously, this guy is a conservative Republican. And he throws in a couple of interesting things because what people don't understand is they just assume because of basically propaganda that it's the Republicans that are the racist, the Republicans were the racist in the South, and the Republicans were in the KKK. But the KKK was essentially made up and started by Democrats, okay? The people that wanted to keep slavery uh, from being uh, uh, criminalized in this country were Democrats. It was the Republican Party and Abraham Lincoln that, you know, got the Emancipation Proclamation uh, done and, and all those types of things. So he kind of throws that in there. So I guess my big takeaway on this one is it's a bold move, Cotton. It's a bold move. I mean, I'm not sure how effective this is. Now, he's gone viral. So I think uh, here I'll click on the, the link to the video just right now. So as of the recording, this five and a half million views just on Twitter. And I don't even think it's on YouTube or anything like that. It's. It's probably an effective ad for his population because you are not going to be neutral about that ad. You are either going to love that ad or you are going to hate that ad. But it's a it's a bold move in this era of one-upsmanship in politics. It could be the single greatest 30-second political ad we've ever seen because you're going to remember it. Because you're either going to like it and you're going to pull the lever for this guy in November or you're going to hate it and you're not. Which that's kind of the point of these political ads. Political ads basically don't persuade people anymore, right? It's about dunking on people. It's about making your opponent look as poor as possible. And this guy doesn't even mention his opponent. And 
again, I don't know if this guy is going to get elected. Uh, he could ride the web red wave uh, into the future. I, I don't even know if he's got to do a runoff. I don't know much about this guy at all. Again, I couldn't even define what he did for a living before this, but we'll see how it works out for him. All right, guys, before we let you go, we are going to do a quick resilience boost at Undaunted Life. Our mission is equipping men to push back darkness with content that forges spiritual, mental, and physical resilience. So I've got a lot of links for you today. All the links uh, at the bottom of my link list are going to be all the stories that I talked to you about on the podcast today, but I've also got links to the donation page and our new podcast guest page. All right, guys, thanks so much for listening to the show. We do appreciate it wherever you're listening to this. Please subscribe, rate, and leave us a positive five-star review. If you want me to come speak live at your event or on your podcast, just shoot me an email to info at undaunted.life. That's I-N-F-O at undaunted.life. Follow us on Instagram and like us on Facebook and check out our website for everything else, including how to donate to keep more content like this coming your way. Just go to www.undaunted.life. And as always, we want to thank the band August Burns Red for allowing us to use their music for our content. The music on this podcast is their song Cutting the Ties, which is off their 10th anniversary re-recording of their album Leveler. The links are in the description. I'm your host, Kyle Thompson. Remember, keep pushing back darkness, keep forging spiritual, mental, and physical resilience, Keep seeking the Lion of Judah.